Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Wow, so fun to be here. It's a group that, um, as I was thinking about it, uh, you know, you may be in different settings where you're with people, and uh, sometimes you might think, okay, is that group for me or <laughs> not? This is a group I feel it's for me, and that's, yeah. Sorry, I know I never cry, but uh, yeah. Uh, gosh, it is so good to be here. Just a quick little update. You know, I, I keep in contact with some of you. Um, for Debbie and I, our lives have changed a little bit. We've added grandkids to our family, and so... Uh, up here at the left are the twins, Austin and Ryan, and their wives are ne- then below them, and then Ryan and Christina have uh, sweet little baby Lydia, and then uh, Ashley is here uh, with Debbie, and they have Charlie and Samuel, um, but she just recently had um, sweet uh, baby Jane, so uh, Jane is here with us, and, and that's just uh, fun, and Claire is also here, um, and so I, got, I feel like I have a little more gray... Um, this is actually my natural color. I don't do this on purpose, just so you know. Um, but then, I, I mean, I'm in a new season. Many of you know, I work now with Young Life at Arizona State University. Uh, we made it through COVID, and uh, this was uh, one event that we did this year during Welcome Week. We, we just do everything. We do like close to 10, 12 days straight of just gathering students, and this was slip and slide kickball. Yes, think about that. It, for insurance, it's a little bit of a questionable deal, but there's a hospital in the background. It's right next door in case anything happens, but um, yeah, it's just a fun season. It's fun to be in a place where walking alongside students who are in um, a season of life where they're, they really might, well, certainly they're deciding where they're at with their faith. Um, many of them will meet the person they're going to marry and uh, possibly, well, choose maybe their first uh, job and direction in life. And so um, it's a joy to come alongside people in that season when they're making those kinds of decisions and the conversations we get to have. And um, So, yeah, very sweet. Uh, so the last two nights, um, I just set, uh, went to my um, 40-year high school reunion, um, was this weekend, and uh, went to Coronado High School. I know there's little shout-outs for Coronado, that's right. Coronado Dons go fighting on, and uh, it was interesting. I went, so we've had one at 10, 20, 30, and 40. You know, you go to your 10-year reunion, and people are trying to act like they were still in high school, um, and they do a bad job of that. Uh, 20, um, there's, we're kind of starting to get it. You know, um, our bodies don't quite look like they did in high school, and um, some, yeah, there's some surgeries maybe that have gone on, and, and you get to 30 and kind of starting to go, okay, this is the real me. I can't change who I am, and, and I really appreciate it. We had a little Friday night gathering, and then last night, and I think for me it was the one that I felt like um, everyone was the most real and not trying to, to put up some kind of um, facade. Certainly lots of stories of pain, and including in from my own life, and um, but it did make me reflect a little bit on high school and uh, how I am different, very, very different um, than when I, uh, when I was in high school. But it did remind me of a, 
um, defining moment in my journey. I wasn't raised in the church, um, and so when I went to Coronado High School, a young life leader reached out to me, and, and that's where um, I was kind of learned about who Jesus was. And in my freshman year, when I was just trying to figure all that out, I was hanging around some, <clears throat> some guys who, they were seniors, and they had cars, and that was really cool, because I didn't. And um, we were, uh, it was back when you could get, like, take a soda bottle, a pop bottle, and you could return it for, you know, you get money for it. You take it to Circle K or 7-Eleven, whatever. And uh, so we decided to go steal pop bottles from people's garages, because that was a good idea to do. And... Uh, so we did this on Saturday. We're literally driving through neighborhoods. People's garages are open, and people would stack their bottles and, and then go cash them in. And so we're driving around in this convertible, and we're stealing pop bottles. And, you know, it just, we made like 300 bucks on Saturday. So, like, what's better than 300 bucks? Let's go back again on Sunday. I mean, let's, let's do this. And so we do. And here's four high school guys, barely can fit in the car because we've got so many pop bottles. And we're pulling up to a, a 7-Eleven um, off of Indian school, and a Scottsdale police officer pulls up behind us, turns on his lights, pulls us over, and we get arrested. Um, it was very obvious. It was an easy description. Um, someone had called the police. And, uh, you know, so we, we get taken in, and um, there was four of us. And for some reason, I ended up in the cell that they would have for, uh, it was a padded cell for people who were bring it, brought in for being drunk and stuff. And so that's where they would kind of keep them for a while while they sobered up, and it didn't smell very good. It was just horrible. So there's this time of me reflecting on, oh my gosh, my parents, my parents happened to be down in Rocky Point for the weekend. It's a Sunday, and I can't see out. There's no windows or anything, and I just hear that my friend's parents are coming and picking them up, and I don't hear anything about me. I mean, I'm not getting the knock on the door. No one's, but I could then hear the, the police officer. I just hear him on the phone just... Um, yeah, Jeff's here, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we'll be here all night. Okay, great. And I'm like, okay. so the officer comes in, he says, um, so your parents just got home. This was, back, remember, this was back in the day. There weren't cell phones, so my parents are talking to him on a regular phone. And uh, your dad said, um, he'll come get you tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What is that? You know, and it, once again, in my mind, I have conjured up the discipline I'm going to get. This was back in the days when dad did take, you know, you, you got spankings back then. And, you know, I was in high school by then, I don't think. But certainly, I was never going to be able to drive again in my life. You know, I, there was these, all these privileges I was sure were going to be taken away. Um, but when I finally got home, and, uh, oh, by the way, I think my, yeah, I think my dad leaving me in there overnight was great wisdom, <laughs> um, a great parenting tip. Sometimes we don't need to rescue our kids when we know they're safe. And later on, he said, I knew you were safe. You were at a police, you were in a jail. What's gonna happen to you in a jail? I wanted you to learn your lesson. And so when I went home, he kind of asked me what happened, you know, so I tell him about my time in the slammer and how bad it was. And I'm pretty sure I actually threw up because it smelled so bad in there. Um, and then finally they said, okay, we think you've learned your lesson, and, and that's it. And I'm like, no, you're kidding, right? I mean, this was not my parent. I mean, they were great at discipline. Let me just put it that way. And, and they're like, no, we feel like you, you learned your lesson. And, and uh, I was, needless to say, I was very, very grateful. And I remember reflecting on that because I was really on a, that was a discerning moment in my path of here I'd 
started learning about this Jesus, and I had people walking alongside me showing me Jesus, but I still had this group of friends over here, and I was into some things over here that just didn't match up, and I just felt like they were like complete opposite. And, and for me, that was a defining moment, and it was soon after that that I made a commitment to Christ, and um, it was just a defining moment uh, for me. And so today, our primary passage, it's very, very short, but it's a defining moment for Jesus' disciples. Um, out of Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, uh, once again, a very short verse. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Uh, he's walking along uh, and has a, a group of men that he encounters. And um, he just simply says to them, as, and this is verse 18, it says, As he was walking uh, beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And so today's topic, being a, a disciple, that we're saved from something for something, right here Jesus gives us a very clear definition of what it means to a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, someone whose life is changed by Jesus, and someone who is on mission with Jesus. This come and follow me part, I'm not sure what that looked like for you. Um, uh, you know, were you, uh, when did you make your first decision to follow Christ? Um, were you raised in the church? Was that something that just kind of evolved for you? Um, once again, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, but regardless of our path, Jesus makes it very, very clear that there is a decision to be made. There's this point that we come to where we're going to decide, I'm on this path right now, and I'm changing the path that I'm on. For the disciples, it literally meant putting away their nets and uh, changing their identity, giving up their livelihood, and following Jesus. And we see later in the Gospels of as he gathers the twelve. That's typically what we think of when we hear the word disciple. But put in most simple terms, deciding to follow Jesus is the result of us reaching a point where we recognize we can't do life on our own and that we need to yield our lives to him. There's this yielding that is so important. I want to show you with you a quick video. Please excuse the quality of it. Don't read the subtitles because they're not in English, but I think you'll get the point. Um, so we'll share a quick little video. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the ship um, is a vessel, um, and it's not a lighthouse, as much as the commander would have loved to um, been able to change that at the moment. Uh, the vessel, the ship, was limited by its very design. It's not made to be a lighthouse. And the lighthouse is immovable. It's designed to be that way. The lighthouse is designed to take on the winds and the wave. And regardless that they hit their base and that they blow against it, because of its deep foundation, the lighthouse stands. And the vessel, because of its design, is absolutely subject to the winds blowing up against its hull and the rain and the waves. Uh, the, the vision is limited by um, the engineer on the ship. It's limited by fog. 
It's limited by the clouds and the rain. Um, but yet it's at that very moment when the bright strobe of, and the foghorn from the lighthouse serve their greatest purpose in keeping the vessel from crashing against the rocks. This yielding, as much as the captain didn't want to, as soon as he realized, oh, you are a lighthouse, he yields to it. And it's in that very yielding that the vessel is then able to go on and complete what it was designed for because it yielded. The captain could have fought that battle, could have argued. Um, and for us, Jesus is that lighthouse, in a sense. Uh, Jesus um, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as much as we want to push against that sometimes, and we want to be God, um, I certainly did that <laughs> in my early journey and continued in my uh, adult life. I think we all do that in many ways. Um, but he is the one true God who is worthy of praise. And there is no argument, there's no deconstruction of our faith. There is um, nothing that can change that. The vessel, as much as it wants to become a lighthouse, can't become a lighthouse. We are a vessel, we are a created one, we are not the creator. And as much as we would like to fully understand him, he stands outside of matter, energy, time, and space. And so often, I think my struggles, I'll speak for myself, my struggles come in when I'm battling something that has to do with matter, energy, time, or space, and God operates outside of that. And so there is a point where I, as a created one, can't fully understand that. Thus, there's the yield. We must come to the point where we yield. And that's what it means uh, uh, to follow Christ. But is that all that there is? Is that all that we're to surrender to him? And then we go into maybe um, some kind of, uh, you know, moral energy, put some, some moral effort into uh, our behavior to make it look like we're a Christian. Is that what we're designed for? Or is there more than that? We've surrendered our heart to Jesus and our eternal destiny is secured, but is that it? And yet I think we can see in Jesus' invitation to these disciples, that that shouldn't be it. That isn't his intent. Is not that we just choose to follow him and that our eternal destiny is taken care of. We've got this life insurance policy that lasts for an eternity um, and that we're just supposed to go into this behavior management. He's got so much more for us. And that's the challenge he puts. He says a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, someone whose life is changed by Jesus, and someone who is on mission with Jesus. And so being changed by Jesus, what's that look like for you? As I was saying, I did a little reflection because I'm at my 40-year uh, reunion and what, you know, having conversations and, you know, when you're at those, people are going, oh, I remember when you, and I'm like, yeah, I wish you didn't remember when I did that. Um, we're different people, hopefully. Um, but when we make a sincere decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us. And then that's where he kicks in. That's, where, that's his part, the changing. When we make a sincere decision to follow Christ, that's when he fills us, and it's his business to change us. That's the I will make you part out of the Matthew 4 passage. Paul puts it uh, in a few different ways. Um, 
But uh, one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything is new. That moment when we make a commitment to Christ, we are a new creation. It starts with our identity. We're no longer our own. Our sin has been washed away, and the price has been paid. But that's not all. We're now sons and daughters of the one true king. We have a new identity. Romans 8, 17 says, Now we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. When we choose to follow Jesus, it's not only that our identity changes, but the Holy Spirit fills us and begins to change who we are. So what did your life look like before you met Jesus? Um, are there people that knew you then and that also know you now? And do they notice a difference? Following Jesus isn't just becoming a better version of us. Following Jesus, it's a transformation. That's what he wants to be about. The God of the universe, who is all-powerful, and once again stands out of matter, energy, time, and space, didn't become a man to go to the cross and die for our sins just so we can be better people. Just so Jeff can be the best man that he can be. No, he came to transform me. That involves a lot more than just becoming a better person. He has so much for us. Uh, and we'll see a little example in a, in a few minutes, but another one of my favorite verses of, of this idea of we're going to be transformed, uh, Romans 12, 2, says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. The Holy Spirit is at work making us more like Jesus, and that takes a transformation, not just simply moral improvement and us becoming better people. And so the last one, so a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, someone who's been changed by Jesus, and someone who is on mission with Jesus. This, uh, the title of today is we're um, saved from something for something. Well, this is the for something part. Once again, we're not just saved. The Lord didn't save us just to, um, that we could be saved from our sin, but he has something for us. And uh, what's, that, what's that look like for you? You know, the 12 disciples uh, is an example of where well, you look at them and you go, well, you can see how their lives are changed. I mean, you read through the Gospels and and um, you see the things that they experience, and, and certainly um, Paul, the writer of many of the books in the New Testament, I mean, he used to basically um, arrest Christians and have them put to death. I mean, and then he becomes God's <laughs> man who ends up writing the letters to the church and starting all these churches, and, and so there's a drastic difference, um, and he was certainly on mission um, Maybe you think of someone who's a disciple as someone who's in full-time ministry. Oh, the people who work at the church. Maybe they're the people. Or they go on a literal mission trip, um, short-term or long-term. And, and I would say, yeah, those are examples of what it means to be on mission. 
But those are just a few uh, examples. Being on mission means that we make ourselves available and we point to Jesus with our words or actions in whatever situation that we're in. It doesn't have to be some big glorious thing that gets a lot of hype. Um, uh, it could just be a simple encounter that you have with someone. One of my favorite passages that um, talks about this uh, comes from John chapter 4. And, uh, and I'm just going to do a little summary. It's a familiar passage. It's the, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well. And uh, verses 4 through 18 which again, you're all probably familiar with this. Uh, this woman, uh, she's a Samaritan. She goes to the water to get water at noon, which people typically didn't do um, during the middle of the day. And Jesus encounters this woman. And uh, Jesus asks her for a drink, which was an odd thing because Samaritans and Jews didn't um, have conversations, and especially um, a man and a woman in that setting. And so Jesus then talks about this woman, like questions, why would you ask me for water? And Jesus talks about, well, actually, uh, um, he starts referring to this living water thing that she has no clue about. Um, and then Jesus starts talking about it in a different way, that he's offering this new life um, in this, this water. In fact, we sang about it today. That was a, a great, um, wonderful song. Um, and Jesus is offering this life, but she still doesn't get it. And then verses 16 through 19, Jesus presses in a little bit um, on her life. And Jesus actually starts revealing what her real need is. She thinks she needs water, <laughs> and that's why she's there. Um, but Jesus starts pressing in a little bit in verses 16 through 19. And her secret is out, basically. Uh, and then... It's obvious why she's there at noon. And we get some of the details that um, she's there at noon because she doesn't want to be around other people and that she uh, has some things going on in her life. She has a poor reputation um, that no doubt included uh, pain and shame and hurt and embarrassment and loss and rejection. And, and, uh, you know, and especially during this time in that culture, uh, women were considered second-grade uh, citizens. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't speak in public. Um, they didn't have a vote. And so add that to the lifestyle that she was in, and we understand why she's there at noon. And Jesus has this encounter with her, and he reveals some things about her life. And yet Jesus has no intention, no intention at all of condemning her or embarrassing her. And so we pick up in John 4, 19 through 26, where this encounter is happening. And so uh, the woman says, um, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that it is a place where you must worship in, um, must worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus declares, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah, who's called the Christ, is coming. 
when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals to this woman who he is, that he is the Christ. And at that moment, I, I just love the way John writes, in that moment, something happens to this woman in an instant. It all becomes very, very clear to her. We don't get a lot of details in the conversation, um, but in that moment, the full weight of her brokenness intersects with the healing love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And she's faced with a decision. Just as the disciples were faced with a decision, come and follow me, and they, got, they had to decide at that moment, are we going to keep doing what we're doing, or are we going to follow Jesus? And then we continue, verse 28 through 30. Uh, and then leaving her water jar the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. She finally gets it. Jesus has been talking in for her in circles about this water thing, and she finally gets it. And she couldn't contain herself. She goes right back to that town she goes from being broken, ashamed, isolated, and afraid, afraid to face anyone, to being a woman who couldn't wait to tell the townspeople about her encounter with Jesus. She went from living a life in hiding and avoiding people to being a woman who felt the freedom to go back to the townspeople and even allude to her life that she probably try and keeps hidden, uh, tried to keep hidden, she alludes to that life and tells Jesus, tells them of what Jesus had done. She chose to um, take what she had just received from Jesus and to go back. And, and think of what that must have been like for her. What kind of healing would have had to take place knowing just what we just read? What kind of healing would have to take place in her heart for her to go back to the people that she tries to avoid, a place that she has no voice, a place where she has a bad reputation, for her to go back and have the courage and feel the freedom to go back to those townspeople, stand before them, and tell her story. I would say that's nothing short of a miracle. That's what transformation is. She wasn't just a better version of herself. That kind of change takes transformation. And then we complete this in verses uh, 39 through 42. We hear a little bit more of what happened as a result of her courage. And so many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, no longer do we believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She didn't have any formal training. Uh, Jesus didn't have a leadership training course right there um, at the well. 
um, her part was just simply go back and tell the people what Jesus had done. She chose to follow Jesus. Her life was changed by Jesus in a moment. And she immediately went on mission with Jesus. She was a disciple of Jesus, and very possibly, although she doesn't get credit for this, the first evangelist. I mean, this is really early in Jesus' ministry. In fact, the disciples, it's interesting in this passage, the disciples were also in that town. Remember, they went to get food. There's no record that the disciples did any sharing about Jesus. They went to get the food, and then they came back complaining, asking Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? They didn't even get it by, at that point in their journey. And here this woman is so taken back by the love of Jesus that she can't contain herself. She just told her story of what Jesus had done, and Jesus did the rest. Um, I love this Bible study series. It's called Experiencing God. Some of you have heard me talk about it. Um, and uh, the basic premise of it is, uh, kind of the first three chapters is, it talks about how God loves you and has a plan for your life. God is always at work around you. And when you see God at work, that is your invitation to join him. Then we have a choice to make, whether we're going to join him or not. And so what does that look like for you? What does um, being on mission with Jesus look like in your season of life? Once again, I think we can all have our reasons why we may not go to Tanzania or be able to go on, because that's what we think being on mission is. But I hope you're, you're seeing that's not necessarily what it means to be on mission uh, with Jesus. What's that look like for you? Actually, North has done a wonderful job over the years on being on mission and providing opportunities for families. Here's a couple pictures I'd love to share with you. So this is, some of you may even have been on this um, project, uh, North Cares. I think that's what you guys still call it, right? Um, this partnership with the city of Scottsdale um, when, uh, and I think Michelle was here recently, maybe even, so you guys are, I'm talking about something and you're going, Jeff, we know that. Um, this was one of the houses that we did. And so uh, North Cares is a wonderful place to be on mission with Jesus. It's an opportunity for North to go into the city and to bless others, whether we're doing that with our voice, we're certainly doing that with actions. Uh, but this one in particular has a few different ways that I think the Lord used the group from North. And so we um, got there. Um, the, the idea was um, that this house is actually on Cactus, on the south side of Cactus, and uh, the, there's a girl in the home who um, has a disability, has a difficult time walking, and so a bus picks her up every day to go to school, and um, the driveway was just full of potholes and um, just was really torn up, and so uh, our job that day was kind of to redefine that driveway so the bus could pull in and their daughter could get on the um, on the bus, and as we're there, in fact, Stuart McPherson and I were there meeting with Michelle, and we're going over this project, and um, which can talk about, Lord, what are you doing here? And let's just join him. And Stuart, many of you know Stuart, is incredibly gifted, um, and has just an eye for details, and does a lot with remodeling homes, 
And so Stuart, I didn't even notice this, Stuart noticed that from the doorway to that uh, driveway was all gravel. And he's like, why don't we put a concrete sidewalk right here, making it easier for your daughter to walk? And I'm like, yeah, what he said, we need to do that. You know, and so Stuart figures that out. We can go to the next picture. This is a, kids can be on mission. <laughs> Doesn't matter how old we are. Um, once again, this was a wonderful project where kids got to be involved. Um, and so the next picture shows uh, what we were able to do that day. Stuart went and got all his resources, so we made a sidewalk for her to walk to where the bus picks her up, which is the next picture, and makes me cry every time I look at it. And uh, that's what it means to be on mission. So I'm not sure what that means for you. Um, there are so many ways um, that we can join uh, the Lord and what he's doing. North has been involved with the Sholo mission trip for so many years. Um, whether that's bringing things that are taken up there for them to sell and to provide or going up there on the trip. Um, Wes talked about this Mission Connect event. That's what might be what it means for you. But you might be in a season of life where it just means gathering people in your neighborhood regularly. It might mean doing something tonight in your driveway where you have neighbors come over and see what God does out of those conversations. For some of you, it just might be taking a meal to a new neighbor and starting up a conversation and see what God does for that. For those of you that might be in school, it might mean just watching out for that student who sits alone and doesn't have a friend and just going and sitting next to him and maybe make a commitment to do that a couple times a week. Being on mission is just simply to being attentive to what God is doing and being available to join him. And then watch what he does. I think that this understanding of what it means to be on mission, um, for me, causes uh, me to look differently at even the simplest tasks that I do. Claire and I go to Costco a lot, and I just like having in my mind, Lord, what are you doing as I walk into Costco? Is there someone in the parking lot that needs help? What's going on? And I want to be attentive uh, to that. We are called to be on mission. And that just might look different depending on what season that you're in. Many, many years ago, um, when I was here at North, um, some of you may remember this story. Um, uh, it was on a flight from Atlanta to Phoenix. And it had been at a conference uh, with several of our staff. And we're in the Atlanta airport, and um, uh, get on the plane, and there's this commotion that happens as a woman comes on the plane um, with her three kids. Um, she tries to bring her stroller on. They, you can't bring the stroller on. She's got three kids. They're climbing all over the place, completely out of control, walking up and down the aisles, grabbing things, jumping on seats. Then there's this horrific smell um, that the, from the, the gift that this baby gave us. And the mom realizes she doesn't have any extra diapers on this flight from Atlanta, which isn't a short flight. Um, and uh, people were getting angry, giving her bad looks. Have you ever been on a flight like that? 
I was exhausted from the conference. It was like, okay, I do not need this. I just want to fall asleep. Um, well, let me take you back to what happened leading up to that flight that day. She had been beaten by her boyfriend um, again. She finally had gotten up enough courage to pack up her three kids and leave the house. She had no place to go in Atlanta, and so she just drove to the airport with no plan. And although she had never flown on an airplane before, she bought four one-way tickets from Atlanta to Phoenix. It had been a while since she had talked to her mom, but she hoped that her mom would be willing to come pick her up from the airport here in Phoenix and take her in. And so she bought her tickets, started walking to the gate, and that's when I first encountered Katrina. Once again, several of our staff were there at a conference, and uh, we noticed, everyone noticed, this woman trying to <laughs> gather, move along these uh, two boys and then the baby she was holding. They were loud, they were out of control, they were hungry, they were thirsty, they had, no, they had to go to the bathroom, and in fact, one of the boys literally ran up to me and jumped on me. I'm standing there with Wes. And the mom looks at Wes and I and says, could you please take my boys to the bathroom? Who does that these days? Tell a stranger to take your kids to the bathroom. And although um, we didn't know her full story uh, at the time, it was obvious that she was frazzled and she had no chance at doing this. And so at that moment, uh, we had a choice whether we were going to join God on mission or not. We had a split second to make that decision. And so I just decided, we're doing this. So I went up to the um, counter, and I said, you see what's going on? I have no idea who she is, but we want to help. She goes, thank you. You can board early with her. If that, you know, we'll just kind of get the boys on and see what we can do. Uh, so I boarded with the two older boys. Um, and uh, as she was coming on with the baby, once again, she had never been on a flight before. She didn't know you couldn't take a stroller on. So they put that underneath the plane, and uh, well, the diapers and the boys' ADHD medicine were in the stroller. Uh, so that's what complicated things a little bit more. And after we were seated, um, uh, we started to get more of her story. And so our staff was kind of seated around her, and we helped all that we could. We tried to find diapers. Um, I was sitting right there with um, with her, I had the boys, uh, and in that we got her whole story, including that part that she really didn't even know if her mom would come pick her up. And so we just said, you know what, we're going to help. We're in. She said, well, my mom lives out in Apache Junction. Great. We might be driving you to Apache Junction. If she won't take you in, we'll get you a hotel. We're gonna, whatever it takes, we're, just so you know, we got you. We're gonna, and so we all just kind of agreed on that. And uh, it was interesting. Um, uh, I sure got the looks, an older man with this younger woman and these young kids, and everyone's, exactly, yep, <laughs> wherever your mind goes on that. Sherry was in the back of the plane, sitting next to a woman, and if I remember correctly, the woman says to her, um, man, her husband sure didn't plan well for today. 
Sherry then gives her the whole story, and that woman's face just dropped, and she had a whole different perspective on what was happening there. And so we got off the plane, thankfully. Thank you, Jesus. Her mom showed up, um, and we were able to help the kids get into a car. And, uh, you know, we never said anything to her about Jesus in that encounter. But I know that her kids and her experienced the love of Jesus. And I continue to pray for her that the Lord has, that was many years ago, and will continue to reveal himself and that others will be on mission and join in on what God is doing in her life. And I know that he will continue to do that. That's what it means to be on mission. I've been in plenty of situations that I saw an opportunity and I missed it. I was either too busy, I was too judgmental. Certainly in that situation, I had every reason to be judgmental. I was tired from this conference. I'd want to go to sleep. All of us have our things that we do, right? When we get on airplanes, I, I have those too. I did not want to put any energy into this. Um, and I've missed a lot of those opportunities. But that day we got it right. And I am so grateful. And in fact, I've got this little red car. At one point, the older boy... Um, threw a car at me, a little matchbox car, it hit me right here, it started bleeding, I have a little scar, thank you for it's above my hairline that I still have, but I still have that car as a reminder of what the Lord taught me in that situation. And so are you getting it yet? It's not too complicated. I think we make it way too complicated. Being on mission with Jesus is just simply being aware of what's going on around you and asking the Lord, is this something that you have for me? And so being on mission with God isn't something that we need to work too hard to try and figure out. I've learned that being on mission with Jesus, uh, it's also, it, it's often just right in front of me. And I just need to begin with praying that the Lord would give me a heart for the loss and eyes to see where there's brokenness. And just respond when God shows me. I love this quote from this guy named Daniel. I can't even pronounce his last name. He was an evangelist in the 60s and 70s, and he says, evangelism, or being on mission, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what being on mission is. I need bread. I've received it from the Lord, and I see someone else who needs bread. Here's where you get bread. That's what it be, means to be on mission. And so my hope is that you um, go from here today with a a clear understanding, really, of um, you, look, it look, you think differently about your normal day. You're going to the store. You're in a class. You're at work. And see it as an opportunity, maybe, where the Lord wants to use you and be on mission with him. Let me pray. Lord, thank you um, so much for um, these friends. Lord, thank you uh, that you have made it so clear to us, Lord, that you would come, that you would die for us, Lord, that you would take away our sins, and that you wouldn't just leave us there as people who are saved, but Lord, that you saved us for something, that you do a work in us through your Spirit, and that you also have something for us, that you're working around us, that we might be your hands and feet to a broken world. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. 
North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.